call the church this morning as we gather as God's people, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Please stand and join us as we sing his praises together. Let's lift our voices. In my wrestling and in my doubts, in my failures, you won't walk out. Your great love will lead me through. You are the peace in my troubled sea. You are the peace in my troubled sea. In the silence, you won't let go. In the questions, your truth will hold. Your great love will lead me through. You are the peace in my troubled sea. You are the peace in my troubled sea. My lighthouse, my lighthouse, shining in the darkness. Your word throws down. 
give you thanks today that the grave is empty, that Christ is risen, and you have given us life. We pray that in our worship today, we will exude that life that you've given us as we worship you. And we ask this through Jesus. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others here in worship today. Good morning. Um, it's so awesome to hear worship in English. Uh, 
I say that because uh, my name is Aaron Bruski, and I'm a missionary. I've been living in Romania for 11 years with my wife and my five children. And we're just here visiting for this six weeks, going around churches and t- uh, telling a little bit about what we do. And um, very briefly, I just want to introduce uh, myself. And again, I'm Aaron Bruski. We have a nonprofit association called Belief in Motion. We believe we need to put our, uh, what we believe into motion. Uh, in Romania, we live right on the border of the uh, Hungarian border in Romania. So we speak Romanian, a little bit of Hungarian, Tiganeste, which is gypsy language. We work with a lot of gypsy folks, which is a very, very, um, people are so prejudiced against them. And um, only less than 5% of people there believe in salvation, believe that Jesus saves. And so that was our calling. We wanted to go there and spread the gospel. Um, Some of the things that we do there, we have a couple of churches going on. We have um, sports evangelism programs going on because we built a nice facility uh, with a soccer field and a basketball court, things that they don't ever see or have. And so they come, and when they come, uh, it's just like hooking a fish. You can start teaching them the gospel, you know. And so we also do an after-school program every day, five days a week, where the kids come and get a hot meal and everything. We started three years ago with um, 40 children, and then it went to 60 last year, and now we have 80 this year. Uh, We want to build a brand new school, a Christian school. We're in the process of buying some land for that, so we're really excited. I'd ask that you be in prayer about that. Um, We'd also do a lot of construction, building emergency homes for people who are living in mud huts and pregnant ladies who don't have a place to go. Um, We actually built a seven-room a girls' home for orphans and abandoned girls. And so my daughter came up with this idea when she was 14, and she started raising money at churches and singing songs. And we built this home, and we hope to open it in the summer of 2017. So we're really excited about that. And we also do um, a lot of food programs and um, things like that. But everything that we do, I just want you to know, is to share the gospel. We want people to know Jesus Christ because that's... Every relationship, every well we put in, everything we do is to share the gospel. But it's really hard to tell somebody about Jesus and say trust in him when they don't have food or a home or water and things like that. So please pray for us. Um, We invite you to come. We do mission trips all summer long. And so we would love for you to come and visit and see what we do over there, okay? And we'll have a very brief video. I think it's two minutes. And we'll just show that so you can get a little taste of what we do. And that will be finished, okay? Thank you.
Thank you, Aaron. We appreciate that. Uh, his connection here to our church is uh, the Shear family has been with him and done work there and have been a part of that ministry at times. And so uh, we are happy to have him here. He's going to be speaking in Kaleidoscope at the next hour. Uh, if you have an interest in visiting with him, uh, you can connect with him today. Or I'm sure you can talk with Calvin and Paulette, their family, who have had connections with them as well. Just a couple of things to mention in your bulletin. Um, you notice that uh, we are not going to be doing Wednesday Night Children's Ministries this fall. So just take note of that. Hopefully in January uh, we will be able to do that. And also um, the prayer event, prayer vigil event starts two weeks from today. Uh, we're beginning sign-ups and uh, you'll be hearing more about that uh, next week as well. But we can begin signing up. There's a computer here as well as over in the community room foyer. And uh, feel free to sign up or online anywhere just through the church website. Uh, when I've been opening up the church website, the first slider at the top is the prayer vigil. And you click on that, it'll take you right to the calendar. If you have any issues or trouble with that, please let us know right away and we'll get that solved for you. But we're happy to uh, help you sign up today as we uh, begin this time of uh, three weeks of 24-hour-a-day prayer beginning on the 30th. It is always a joy to... Uh, have new children in our congregation and to dedicate them to God. And this morning we have the opportunity again to do that. One up. And he is ready. Jail and Heidi, you have God has blessed you with this little one. And today you come to dedicate God's gift back to him. You're here today because of your own faith in Jesus Christ. And in this public act of dedication, you're declaring your desire that your son will be raised in the love and grace of God within the nurturing spirit of the church. In this act, you're welcoming the prayers and the support of the church and declaring your desire that he would early learn the things of God and that his life would be defined as a lifelong commitment to follow God to the very end of his life that he might receive the promise of eternal life with Christ. But in order that this may be accomplished, it will be your duty as parents to teach your child early the fear of the Lord, to watch over his education, that he may not be led astray by false teachings or doctrines, to direct his mind to the Holy Scriptures as expressing the will and authority of God for all humanity, and to direct his feet to the sanctuary, to restrain him from evil associates and habits, and as much as possible to bring him up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Will you endeavor to do so by the help of the Lord? If so, answer, we will. In the 10th chapter of Mark's gospel, we read these words. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. What name have you given your child? Lawson Town. On behalf of your parents, your family, and this congregation, I dedicate you, Lawson Town Miller, to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. As I mentioned, each time we dedicate our children to God, this is, a, this is a threefold covenant that we're engaging in today. 
And uh, sort of, I think of it as a triangle surrounding Lawson. Uh, Jail and Heidi and their family have made their commitment. And uh, they're one side of the triangle. And at the base of it is God. You okay? Yeah, you're okay. We're good. Yeah, we're good. He's not sure, but I'm going to tell him that. At the base of the triangle is God, and we know that God is at work in his life and will always be at work in his life, and that is the one foundation we can count on. But we also have a role to play in this. Uh, As the church, we make up the other side of the triangle, surrounding him with the grace and love of Christ. So I want to invite you to stand and to affirm your commitment to Lawson and to this family. As the church of Jesus Christ, will you, with the help of God... Do everything possible to help Lawson grow in the nurture and grace of Jesus Christ. Will you love him? Will you be a godly witness to him? And will you help him to know and accept the grace of God in his life? If so, answer, we will. will. Gracious Father, we thank you for the gift of children. What an awesome thing you have done. And we thank you today for Lawson. For bringing him into this world. For blessing his family with his presence, and for loving him with an everlasting love. We thank you that you are at work in his life even now, helping him to know your love and your grace and these amazing plans that you have for his life. And we pray, Father, that as we have dedicated him to you today, that he will always have a heart to know you and to love you because he knows how deeply you love him. Father, we pray for J.L. and Heidi as parents, that you would give them all the grace that they need to to help their son know you and to turn to you. We pray, Father, that you will bless them in every way that they need. And Father, we pray for Lawson's uh, brothers and sister, sisters and brother. We pray for um, Silas and Sadie and Corinna. Ask that you would bless their lives with your grace. That as they follow you, they will be a godly example to their little brother. That he will see you in them and desire to know you as well. We pray that you will bond them together as brothers and sisters in this unique relationship that you've given them. Lord, we pray that you'd help us as a church to continue to bear witness to who you are through your grace. And may our our lives speak to the the wonder of who you are into Lawson's life. Thank you again for blessing him and for being with him and for blessing us with his presence. May your grace be upon him in every moment as we dedicate him to you and ask this through Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to invite our ushers forward as we give back to God from all that he has given to us. Let no one call 
If you'd like to uh, use the altar rail to offer your prayers, I invite you to join me. Also, we're going to pray for Aaron and the ministry of uh, Belief in Motion. And if you have, would like to come and gather around him and uh, pray for him as well, I invite you to do that. Father, we come today because Christ is risen. Because Christ is risen, we know that you are king of all. That all things are in your hands. And we declare today that we trust you. And we give thanks to you. Father, this morning we know that there are struggles that we bring today to this time of worship. Struggles in our own lives and struggles in the lives of others. And we pray, Father, that your gracious mercy will be with us in all of our burdens. We pray, Father, for all who are grieving today and ask for your comforting presence in their lives. We pray, Father, for all who are struggling with health concerns. We pray for Mildred Berry and Doris Asepian, for Blanche Weaver, Tammy Dunmeyer, Isla Shea, Sheldon Emerson... For Bob Jobert and Laurel Buecher, for Bill Getty, Warren and Ella Woolsey, Phil Muecher, Mike Raybuck, for Bev Rett, Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Dick Gould, Emily Cricklar, and others who are on our hearts and our minds today. And we ask for your gracious healing power upon each of them. Father, we pray for our nation. And as we, uh, we see signs of of so many divisions among us as a nation. We pray, Father, that you would bring peace where there is conflict. We pray that you will bring reconciliation where there has been fracture. Father, we pray for those who are recovering from recent disasters and and, uh, terrorist attacks. We ask that you would give peace and grace to each of them. We pray, Father, for your mercy upon uh, the nation of Haiti, as they are, have had such devastation again. And we ask, Father, that you would help in the grief from the, all of the lives that have been lost and the destruction and families and na- towns that have just been torn apart. And we ask, Father, that you would bring grace to them. We pray, Father, that you would bless the church to be a presence of hope in the midst of despair. And Father, speak to our hearts about ways we might be involved in assisting and being generous with whatever you have given us. And Father, we pray today for Aaron. We thank you for the calling you've placed on his life. We pray for his family, his ministry, all of the ways in which you have been at work and will be at work. We pray that you'd give him an anointing of your spirit in these days of travel. And when he returns, may he know that you have gone before him and that you are with him and his family and all who help him and minister with him. Give him your grace and your strength for this huge task. And we pray especially for the Roma people 
Lord, a people group that is neglected and uh, seems to be little reached. We pray that the gospel would penetrate their lives, that they would know the joy of you in their lives. We pray that Aaron and his family and his ministry would be a part of that. So pour out your grace upon them in every way. Father, we thank you for the ministry of of not only around the world, but of this church. And we pray, Father, for our, our young children's Sunday school classes today, for the nursery and one-year-olds and two-year-olds and the toddlers and three-year-olds, four-year-olds, kindergarten. Lord, we pray that you would pour out your blessing upon each one of these classes, that you would bless the teachers and the students, and that through these times together, week after week after week, the gospel would penetrate into these young hearts that they would always know the depth of your love for them and they would always want to follow you. Father, we pray for the churches around us and we pray for the Cuban United Methodist Church and Pastor Gleason. Pour out your blessing upon them as they minister to their community and beyond. Fill them with your spirit in worship today and in their lives beyond today. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for your work in our world, in our nation, in this place. Be glorified through all that we are and all that we do. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, remembering the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Following the scripture reading this morning, children may be dismissed to Children's Church. Our scripture is from Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 to 10. The word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something, when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone, without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong 
to the family of believers. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand and join us as we sing. So I was um, this summer uh, eating at an olive garden and um, reminded that, you know, that one of their slogans used to be, when you're here, you're family. And I was reading something recently that triggered this thought for me, that I, as I sat there eating, you know, that unlimited salad and breadsticks that they keep bringing to you, I thought to myself, you know, it's a nice restaurant, but I can't really say that I feel like family here. You know, I didn't talk to anybody else in the restaurant. 
the server was there and gone, and they really didn't carry on much of a conversation with me either. But what struck me is there was something about the fact that they chose that slogan that speaks to something in the human heart that wants to be connected to other people. We want to be family. We want to, we want to know that we have this connection to each other. And this is what the sense I get when I read this, this section of Paul's letter to the Galatian churches. In fact, when you get to the 10th verse here, he says that you are, we are a family of believers. And, and he, he talks about us being family because there is this yearning in the human heart to want to be connected to other people. The problem is family doesn't necessarily mean perfect. Now, I don't know about your family, but my family's not perfect. I know that's hard to believe, but they're not. You would think we would be, right? We're not. And I think probably I'm going out on a very, uh, a very strong limb to say, I doubt if your family's perfect. And that means the church is imperfect people trying to be family, which means we're not going to be perfect either. One of the most, one of the greatest struggles of the church is that we think that the church is supposed to be perfect. But the reality is we're not. But we get so disappointed when people fail, when people mess up, when people struggle, when when people do things that we can't believe they do. And our natural human response is to say, you know what, it'd be a lot better if you just sort of go somewhere else. Our natural human response is to judge people and to criticize people and probably somewhere deep in our psyche to just want people to go away. And the churches in Galatia are dealing with the same thing. They're wrestling with the same kind of problem. And what is Paul's solution to them? Yeah, that's probably a good idea. You need to get rid of those people who are sinning. You need to get rid of those people who have, who have relapsed into sin. But that's not what he says. He gives us no indication of what the sin is that they're dealing with. He simply says, when somebody struggles with sin, your role is to restore them. Your purpose as the church is not to try to get rid of them. Your purpose as the church is to embrace them. And to bring them to a place where they can experience the forgiveness of God and the forgiveness of God's people. Restoration. This word restoration that he uses in verse 1... It's, it's also used, it's the word that's used to, to describe the process of a fisherman mending their, his nets. It's the word used to describe someone who, what you do to someone that has a broken bone. It is taking something that is fractured and unusable and making it usable again. And that's our role as the church. Our role is to realize, first of all, we're all going to struggle. Everyone is going to deal with stuff. And our role, our responsibility is to be people who are looking for every way possible to restore rather than looking for every way possible to reject. 
And with the Galatians, their big thing is the law. And if your purpose is the law, then what you're going to do is to say, we've got to purify this thing. We've got we to separate. We've got to be thinking who's in, who's out, who's worthy, who's not worthy. But when your purpose is relationship, when the purpose is Christ, then we do what Christ does. And that's why he has just talked about the fruit of the Spirit. That's why he just talked about the Spirit in us and what that looks like. And it brings us to restoration. Now, he is careful to tell us about how we do that. He talks about restoring people gently. Now, I'm convinced that you cannot have restoration without some form of confrontation. This is not, well, you know, it doesn't really matter what you do. It doesn't really matter that, that you're struggling with sin. It doesn't really matter that you've relapsed. We just, we just want you to be a part of things. Don't worry about it. That's not what he's talking about. Because that is simply letting people continue down a path of destruction. So that means there has to be some form of confrontation here. Now, that confuses us because we often think confrontation is judgment. Confrontation is exercising our authority, bringing people into line. But that's not really what biblical confrontation is. Confrontation is actually an act of love. If we do it like Jesus does. It is not about exerting our authority. It's not about getting people into line. It's about helping people see the decisions they're making and the destructiveness of it. So that they're able to say, yeah, I need to, I need to turn that around. I need to run to Jesus. And that's why Paul says confrontation in the, in the church has to be done in a spirit of gentleness. Gentleness. We don't typically equate gentleness and confrontation. In fact, they almost seem like oxymorons. Gentle confrontation, right? Because confrontation is getting in people's face. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying be gentle about it. Because what's your end goal? Is your end goal to win? Or is your end goal to love and restore? And I'm convinced you cannot have the same, you cannot have both of those end goals at the same time. Either your goal is to win, and if your goal is to win, then you just trample people, you judge people, you do what you have to do to get to what you want. But if the end goal is restoration and love, then you look for every way possible to try to help people hear and listen and be open to what needs to be said and what they need to hear. And the difference is, when, we're, when our goal is to win, it's really about us. When our goal is to restore, it's about them. And that's what he's calling us to. But it's not just gentleness. There's also humbleness here as well. Humility. Because you get to the end of verse 1 and he says, just remember your own susceptibility to sin. Boy, you talk about making you feel humble. Right? I mean, the moment we start judging other people's sin is the moment God whispers in our ear, really? Really? You're going you're gonna, you're gonna to judge them? Because, you know, you and I could talk about some stuff too, right? Yeah? I mean, that spirit of humility sets the tone for how we talk to each other. 
There is never a sense of, well, I am so wonderful, so let me tell you what to do. It's, it's a sense of, of we, we are doing this because God has, has put it on our hearts and only we do it with fear and trepidation. I read somewhere the other day that an author says that there are two ways that you, we confront people. You can either do it with, a, with an assurance and a spontaneous sense that we are right. Or we do it with a, a sense of, of prayer and thoughtfulness that we hope we're right. And the first way is the way of arrogance, and it's rarely successful. The second way is the way of humility, and it's often successful. It's the spirit in which we, we share with one another and we talk with one another. And that's why he says, if you want to check your spirit, then let's think about how we bear each other's burdens. Because when we, when we are in the place where we sense the spirit prompting us to confront humbly and gently, what we're really wanting to say to people is, let me take your guilt and your shame on myself. Like Jesus did. Let me bear your burden. Let me take that weight off of your shoulders. And I'm going to put it on my shoulders. I love you. I care about you that much. That's a part of the the whole process of restoration. It's part about being family. Is that we step in for each other anytime we can. And we take on ourselves what might be really deserved by somebody else. I mean, how many times in, in our families have we thought to ourselves, I wish I could take that from them. I wish that were me and that they weren't having to go through that. I wish I were going through that. Take it on for them. And as as people of, of the kingdom, this is our calling to say, let me take that burden off of you. How do we do that? Well, we take away shame by offering forgiveness, by, by affirming people, by continually bringing them to Jesus and helping them to experience the forgiveness that Jesus offers all of us. We bear burdens. Our clue speaker, A.J. Swoboda, was talking, talked about one of his books that he asked the question, he says, when Jesus was resurrected, he was identified by his wounds, by scars. And he says, you wonder why Jesus still had the scars. You would think that the resurrection, especially with Christ, would eliminate the scars. That it would be as though the resurrection means that we don't think about that bad stuff that took place on Friday. We're just thinking about Sunday. But he says, it's because those wounds are how we're healed, as Isaiah tells us. And, and it's, the wound, it's, it's through his woundedness that, that we find life. And he goes on to say, we often think that being a part of the community, being part of the family of God, a part of the church, means that, that we're going to be perfect people. But it doesn't mean that at all. In fact, he says, it doesn't really even mean we're going to be better people. It means we're going to be crucified people. Because we bear each other's burdens and we give ourselves for each other. And we're continually stepping in, not to, not to judge, but to say, let me take that. And that's why it's so vital, as he says here, to talk about in verses 4 and 5. He says, why it's so vital to keep track of your own spiritual condition. 
Remember your own susceptibility. Take care of yourself. And as we focus on our own needs, as we focus on on how much we need Christ, it keeps us in that spirit of humility that then allows us to help others. I suspect that probably the most sobering part of this whole passage is verse 7 where he says, Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. What you sow, you will reap. I think what he means by that is what you want deep in your heart, what you really want, your passion, your desires, that's exactly what you're going to eventually get. If we want Christ, despite our our failings, despite our struggles, despite our stumblings, then ultimately we are reaping the spirit of Christ with that desire and that passion in our hearts. And ultimately that is what we will receive, the fullness of Christ. But if our desire, our passion is for self, then we will ultimately receive the end result of sin and that's death. He's not talking about the fact that we are perfect people. He's made that clear right off the bat. That's not what the church is. But it's that inner desire, that passion that we have, what we truly want deep down inside of us. Ultimately, that's what we're going to get. And I think that's what he means in verse 6. This verse that seems really out of place here. He's talking about restoration and and caring for one another and bearing one another's burdens. And after that, verse 6, he talks about this whole thing of harvesting and reaping and sowing. But in verse 6, he says, oh, by the way, people who teach you the gospel, you need to take care of them. Now, this is sort of the pastoral ministry life verse right here. You know, this is people take care of you. It's sort of like Joshua 1.18, where Joshua starts out, he's just getting started, and the leaders of Israel come to him and say, look, we're behind you, we support you, and in fact, anybody who disobeys anything you say, we will put them to death. Now, that's a verse that a you know, ministry leader can get behind right there, you know? <laughs> There's some authority in that word, right? Actually, this is really difficult to talk about, because in a sense, it's saying, you support people like me. But it's not really that. It's about supporting the church. It's not just the people who teach us, but it's all that the church is doing here. And I think what it speaks to is the fact that if we are passionate about Christ, if our desire is for Christ and for the church, then that shows up in what we do with what we have. And in fact, Jesus says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. What you really want comes out in what you do with what you have. And if if you are passionate about Christ, then you support the people and, and and the institution, the church, that leads you toward Christ. That's why we give. That, that's why it's, it's not about saying, oh, we just want to take in more money. It's that we believe in the mission and the passion of the church. It's important to us as a church that we support the work of the kingdom all around the world. And we support that. It's important that we reach out to people around us who have needs. And we support that. It's important for us to learn the the things of, of the scripture and the things of the kingdom. And so we support that. It's important to take care of the, the facilities God's given us and we support that. And so we give generously to make that happen. 
And what we do with what we have, both our, our money, our time, our talents, our gifts, all of that, what we do with that and how willing we are to share that and to be generous with it speaks volumes about the passion of our hearts. And so getting involved in ministry, helping our children know Christ, helping our youth come to Christ, helping each other draw closer to Christ, outreach, all the things that we do, it comes back to this spirit that deep in our hearts is what we really want. And so Paul says, what you sow, you reap. But sometimes it's hard because... We want the harvest to be now. We want to, we prefer more of a vending machine mentality than a farming mentality. We want to put in our coin, make our investment, push the button and see the results immediately. But the reality is that's not how it works. You know, Jack's beanstalk grew overnight, but most of the stuff that we might grow in our gardens doesn't do that. Right? It takes time and time and you wait and you wait and then you see little bits of signs that maybe something is coming on and you keep waiting and you keep doing everything you need to do, watering and weeding and all the things that need to happen, believing that eventually the harvest is going to come. And that is the way the kingdom works most of the time. We plant, we weed, we water, And we trust. And when our hearts are focused on Christ, whether we're talking about watching people who need to be restored or any other anything else that God is we see in God's kingdom, more often than not, the results take time. And the question that Paul presents to us is are we willing to trust? Are we willing to be patient? Are we willing to keep doing good even when it feels like we're not sure if anything is happening or not? And as he says, we're getting worn out. And and I think Paul's getting worn out with the Galatians, to be honest with you. But he keeps going. Because the gospel is not primarily, the goal is not primarily obedience. The goal is primarily trust, faith. And faith leads us to obedience. But it's primarily about trust, believing that God's timing is perfect. He says, just the right time, God brings the harvest. And whether we see it or not is really not the issue. We live our lives believing and trusting that investing ourselves in the kingdom and in one another is always right. And so he comes to the end of verse verse 10 and he says, So therefore, keep on doing good. Every opportunity you have. Are we supposed to do good to every single person? No, none of us can do that. Our responsibility is to do good to the people in our lives. To the people that God brings to us. The opportunities when the Spirit prompts us. And so we live with this openness to God that we're always thinking about. Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to do it? I want to live with the spirit of doing good for others, whomever they may be. And he says it starts in the church. That's especially in the church. Now, it doesn't mean that the church is more important. It doesn't mean that the church is more significant. It just means 
that if it doesn't happen in the church, why would anyone believe that it could ever happen anywhere? It's in the church. We're family. And we keep doing good for each other. We want what is best for each other. And we're looking out for each other. And we're caring for each other. And bearing one another's burdens. And we're always trying to gently, humbly help each other. We keep doing good. Because that's our mindset. That's our spirit. That's our passion. Because it's the mindset, the spirit, the passion of Christ. And when we come to this table, this is the table where we see the church and Christ intersecting. And here at this table, this is a table of grace and restoration. It is a table that that brings us face to face with the grace of Christ. What Paul writes in 2.20, where I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I now live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Bore my burden to restore me to God. But this is also a table that calls us to be people of grace. To be people of restoration. To be agents of reconciliation and life and doing good and representing the kingdom. That's what this table is about. And so this morning as we come to this table, we come in gratitude for what God has done for us in Christ. And we come asking God to make us agents of grace and restoration for each other and for the world around us. Holy Father, we thank you for all that you've done for us in Christ. And we pray, Father, that you will will open our eyes to your grace to us and give us hearts that desire to be agents of grace and restoration to each other and to others. Father, we pray this morning that you will pour out the abundance of your blessing on the bread and the cup. That as we eat and drink, we may, we may feed on your spirit. That our souls may be drawn closer to you. That we will see each other the way you do. And we will rejoice and give thanks. And we ask this through Christ Jesus. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, meeting with his disciples, he took bread, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven, and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. For this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And on the same night he took the cup. Again he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples saying, drink from this all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. This morning we're receiving communion by the mode of intinction. So as you're released by rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it. And then you may return to your seat by the outside aisles. Altar rails always open if you want to stay and pray. We do have a tray of bread and cups. If you prefer to be served in your seat, just let the usher know as your row is released. And we'd be glad to do that. And I also have gluten-free wafers and cups here. Just let me know as you come to the front.
I always like to mention that we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. It might be the first time you've ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to God, with a desire to, to receive His grace and to be agents of grace and restoration, then come, receive these gifts from our gracious, loving Heavenly Father.
from the love of our infinite love. And it's not that we first loved him, but that he first chose to love us, even as in sin and darkness we try. What shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who has lavished his love upon us has called us to love like he has. So let us consider how we love one another. How we encourage each other toward love and good deeds for he who has promised our Father is faithful by this all men will go we love our Savior with we love each other so shout to the
the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.